0: Welcome to Discover Ag, where every week we discover what's new in the world of agriculture. We're your host, Natalie Kavorth, a rancher and pharmacist from Nebraska, and Tara Vanerdusen, a dairy farmer
1: and environmental scientist from New Mexico. And together we bring you our professional farming opinions on a variety of trending topics in the ag and food space, so you can better understand our food system and feel connected to the hands that feed us. And we are back today with episode 92 of Discover Ag, and it is brought to you in part by Case IH. To the men and women at Case IH, farming is a way of life, a life they live every day on millions of acres across North America. Get to know the farmers who work at Case IH and see how they bring that perspective into everything Case IH does. Visit builtbyfarmers.com to see their stories and to even share your own. Built by Farmers, Case IH, a proud sponsor of the Discover Ag Podcast.
0: Happy Thursday, discos. We are excited to be back with you guys on our favorite day of the week in your earbuds, riding along with you, doing whatever it is you are doing. I have to say, I was listening back to last week's episode, and I feel like we need to issue a formal apology for not wishing everyone a happy Memorial Day. We were so excited to jump into Indie. I feel like we blew right by a very important holiday. I know, absolutely.
1: Um, One of the things that's hard about recording this podcast and it coming out later is that you're never in necessarily the moment of what's happening. And so we absolutely miss that holiday and just want to thank all of um, the men and women who serve our country, who have died for our country. Um, And absolutely, we both took pause in our real lives, um, but we should have taken pause on that. The podcast as well. So that is our pause now is in uh, our thank you um, for all, you know, all the families too um, that support all of our military active military and service men and women.
0: That is the really different thing about hosting a podcast. I've noticed I still will not forget episode. I don't remember which one it is. But I said, Arizona is the fifth largest city in the world. I was on like a major tangent. Obviously, I met in the US, but it's really hard to go back and edit like i would have to splice in my voice or take that out and i feel like every other social platform is so immediate it's like you just put up another story if you mess up the old one or you edit your post or your caption and podcasting you're kind of i mean there's editing but you're kind of stuck with what you got and so when i realized i was like we did not even talk talk about memorial day it's kind of up to 7 days later to address anything you want to address it's weird yeah so here we are 7 plus days later <laughs> i'm sorry <laughs> better late than never right better late than never how was your weekend? You must have been doing one of your no phone times, which is good for you because I feel like I text you a couple times and you always got back to me really late in the evening. I felt really bad a few times actually for how bad I how late I got back to you and then I actually
1: my emails for some reason on my phone I get We have a lot of different email addresses that I check, kind of like between my personal, New Mexico Milkmaid, Discover, Elevate. And somehow I got set my phone on my personal only. And so all of a sudden last night, I realized and moved over to like all inboxes, quote unquote, on Google and was like, it was like 79 (laughs) emails. And I was like, oh my gosh. So I apologize for
0: being out of pocket, but you were in Montana out of pocket, kind of too. I was, yes. My oldest niece graduated. And so we headed up to Montana to spend the weekend with my family there. I don't know if I've ever mentioned on the podcast before, referenced it. Maybe I have, but I originally grew up in Southwest Montana. So I am in Nebraska now because of my husband and where, you know, he was living and ranching before we met. But no, 406 roots and it was good to be back. It was, we drove because prices were very high to fly. And so it was kind of a whirlwind of a weekend, but it was very fun to be back. That's funny you mentioned prices because I was just looking
1: at flights to Montana for next month uh, when we're getting together and they are very pricey, but I am so excited. I'm coming to Montana and I'm going to your family's ranch and we have some really exciting things planned for next month for Discover Ag.
0: We do, and I could not help but think that the entire time I was up there. I am so excited to show you my roots and show you Montana. You've never been to Montana, so I'm really excited to show you the state and the area, and we're going to be in a really, really beautiful area, and so I feel like you're getting the best taste of Montana you could possibly get, so you are welcome, Tara. Thank you. I will say thank you now. So one of the things I haven't
1: told you this yet. I'm so embarrassed by this. But we are going up there to film another episode of our like docu-series Discover Ag. And we would like to be on horseback. And I have not rode horseback since I was a kid. So I have been low-key working on taking lessons so that I don't look like a next to you. I also have um, one of my really good friends here is helping me plan my outfits and my cowboy boots so that I do not look, quote unquote, I think the word she used was punchy. She was like, you need to look classy Western. And so she's helping me practice riding horses and not looking stupid. Uh, I did learn that we're also going to be sleeping in a tent during our time in Montana. And I have never done that. So you guys stay tuned for Tent like tent camping Tara. I don't know what kind of person I'll be, but I'm hoping <laughs> I
0: survive. I mean, it won't be any better than me. I have slept in a tent, but it's not my favorite thing. It's funny you say that because when we were on that call and you mentioned that Luke was actually in the background and he gave the biggest <laughs> smirk laugh when he heard you say, I've never slept in a tent before.
1: <laughs> I, when I had to tell my husband, he's going to be like, Oh, my gosh. I don't think my husband's ever slept in a tent. If he has, I don't know about maybe. Maybe in college. I don't know. But anyway, my husband's going to be making fun of me. Everyone's welcome to make fun of me. Follow along in our stories because Nat and I will obviously be bringing you guys along. Um, so head over to Instagram. Um,
0: but it's going to be interesting. Maybe you want to pitch a tent and practice a couple times, too. So you can work that into your rotation of outfit planning, horseback riding and practicing sleeping in a tent.
1: I really am excited to see it, and it's going to be beautiful. I'm excited to meet your family. You came out to New Mexico last summer, so I feel like it's only right that I go out to one of your, like, locations this year. So I'm I'm down for anything. You tell me what I'm
0: supposed to do, and I'll do it, Nat. July, you guys, it's going down in July. Montana, be there or be square. I feel like Montana's kind of a theme, too, because actually one of our articles, the last ones we're ending with, takes place in Montana. So we're kind of on, like, a Montana wavelength right now.
1: We're in our Yellowstone era. Like Mm -hmm. if we were Taylor Swift, this would be the part where we were like Montana Yellowstone.
0: I don't get that reference, but we're going to move right on. I don't.
1: Isn't that like her whole tour is the eras, like the different eras she's been in in her life? Like you and I are in our Montana summer era.
0: Yes, I get it. Okay. Well done. Sorry, that went right over my head. (laughs) Okay, moving on Yep, to our first article you guys need to know this week titled Bear Grills Embarrassed by His Vegan Advocacy and Regrets Cookbook. Adventurer, who has advocated a vegetable-only diet for most of his career, has made a complete U-turn and only eats meat now. Normally, this would
1: be the part of the podcast where I give context and some background, but I don't think there's any that's really that needed. Like he had a cookbook. He advocated for a vegan diet. But I will start by saying I'm really proud of him for admitting this, going on like a public platform and saying like, I made a mistake. I have changed my life. And it makes me wonder how many other people feel this way, not just celebrities, but just people feel this way. And they're too embarrassed to like come out about like not wanting to be vegan anymore or that they're not vegan. Like We've talked on this podcast before about the backlash that we've seen people who have a really big vegan following. And when they
0: switch back to an omnivore diet, they get a lot of grief. You said omnivore, kind of like it was like French or something. It was kind of fun. I feel like we could start saying it that way. I wrote down the same thing. I said, I applauded his ability to embrace a change and accept a change of mind and heart and going big picture than just vegans accepting they have changed their mind about diets or vegetarians. This applies in my mind to all of society as a whole. We have gotten to a place where I feel like we can absolutely not change our mind or retract a statement or say something different than we previously said for fear of like cancel culture and so many other things. A lot of it probably doing ego and how people judge us. But same thing, I was just really happy to see removing that I had to do with you know a vegan diet back to transitioning to meat I was just happy to see someone of his public status saying I changed my mind and that's okay like I'm a human and time has evolved and I'm doing something different this is
1: actually the rabbit hole I went down on for this article. I started Googling celebrities that have been vegan and no longer are. And there's actually a healthy list of people saying some really positive things. Um, Miley Cyrus was vegan and has since given it up because of brain fog that she experienced on the vegan diet. Mike Tyson, um, Zach Efron, which is someone we've talked about on the podcast before, but he became vegan after his Netflix documentary or series. What We need a better word than documentary. Documentary, especially as we're doing this summer debunking series, because they are not documentaries. So, show um, called Down to Earth. He went vegan and he said for two years he did it, and his health drastically declined. And he had to switch back. Angelina Jolie was vegan while she was married to Brad Pitt, and Brad Pitt is supposedly still vegan, but Angelina is Jolie is not. Beyonce, Gwyneth Paltrow. I'm talking some really big celebrities, and they actually had really great sound bites of why they decided to switch back. Uh, and it it was like hope for me. You know how we talk about that, that sometimes we feel like we have no hope and
0: sometimes we have hope. Today, I had hope. Well, statistically, I'm not surprised. Five out of six people who give up meat eventually abandon their diet, you know, ways. And so, I mean, celebrities are going to be no different. So out of the plethora, because I do feel like it was kind of mainstream, cool there for a while to embrace that lifestyle, and especially for a lot of them who didn't choose it for the right reasons, They're not going to be anymore. But it is great, like you said, to see them having positive soundbites coming out of that instead of either one bearing it or two kind of, I don't know, I guess twisting the words. I want to go back to while we're on the idea of soundbites, I want to include some of the soundbites that he said that I think, um, again, were just really great and I want to highlight them. He has, quote, claimed he was wrong to think that eating a plant-based diet was good for the environment and his health. I thought that was good for the environment and I thought it was good for my health. And through time and experience and knowledge and study, I realized I was wrong on both accounts. He's also come out kind of saying that he felt bad for criticizing meat eaters. And I think that's a really big thing because that leads us down the path of almost the moral or virtue signaling part of the vegan vegetarian diet. And so it was nice to see him kind of own up to that a little bit. Some of the other sound bites I actually
1: loved of him. I think that's funny we both pulled that out. But I, he said he's listening to his body now and trying to really be in tune with how he feels when he eats different things. And then he also said quote unquote, getting away from processed stuff. And I thought that was a really important point because we've talked that sometimes people think about being vegan as like eating a salad every day when in reality, it can be very processed foods. I mean, similar to like, if you're comparing, you know, a vegan that eats vegetables to a vegan who's eating, you know, all the things that just say like processed food that say vegan, or even like a meat eater who is eating steak versus a meat eater who's eating like McDonald's chicken nuggets. Like there is differences. And so the fact that he was like a big part of it was just getting away from those processed foods.
0: And we actually talk about this, uh, on just this most recent episode, you guys on Tuesday that came out with Lauren, um, the registered edition, and we were debunking game changers. And we talk a lot about the processed foods in that, like the vegan processed diet association. And we also will talk about it next week when we interview Vinny for his beyond impossible, we really dive into that, you know, not every vegetarian diet is the same across the board and kind of assuming or comparing, you know, more healthier ones just isn't, I guess, like in my mind, probably a proper representation of the American standard vegetarian.
1: Yeah, his cookbook, one more soundbite, this is from his old way of life, but I think it's worth noting that um, I definitely think he was like hitting the talking points in his vegan cookbook. His cookbook was called Fuel for Life and he attacked society's quote unquote natural ways of breeding, keeping and killing animals. So he was he was in in it deep when he came
0: around. Yeah, there were, I read a couple articles where um, his, I don't know if it would be the documentary film or, you know, staff around him made comments about almost the juxtaposition between his, you know, adventure camera side to what he would be off film, which was very off-putting about people's diets and kind of, I don't know, I guess the like stereotype snooty would think about it, like turning his nose up at people eating meat in front of him and all these kind of different things. And definitely some of those things you can think of when you think of like a negative vegetarian, I think he had some of those qualities.
1: I think that actually is my next point is he does seem like somewhat of an extremist in what he does. Like when he was vegan, he was extremely vegan. Now he is full on carnivore. And that's almost the, the quote in the article was counterculture of like opposed to being vegan. Now the counterculture is being carnivore and eating meat and doing like the opposite extreme. And to me, reading about him, it seemed like now he's like, full I don't know, what would you call it? Full-blooded
0: <laughs> carnivore instead of being uh, vegan. It is interesting that he went to the opposite diet on the extreme side of the scale, like the, the perfect juxtaposition, I guess, of it. Like you said, it's not like he's just now advocating for like a normal, balanced diet. He's promoting another extreme diet, in my opinion.
1: I feel like your new favorite word is juxtaposition. I feel like I've never heard you say that until the last four episodes. I think you've said it twice in every single episode.
0: Oh, that's funny. I love it. It's like our
1: word of the week, word of the month. Maybe we need to have one of those. Oh,
0: that would be fun to do. Okay. Let us know what you guys think about that idea. I like it. Um,
1: So one of the things with him, he says he does feel full now, always full. He's never hungry and he does not crave junk food. He says he does not miss vegetables and I feel that to my core. I'm a person – I could, like, not eat vegetables or fruit and be fine. I could absolutely be carnivore except for carbs. That's my only – like, I love sweets. I love breads and pastas. I have no desire to eat vegetables 99% of the time or fruit. Um, So I actually really related to him on that point. You're the opposite. You, like,
0: love a good salad. Oh, it's my – I was telling Luke when we – sidebar – we entered a new stage of parenting that I did not realize we were at yet. And it was very exciting. We broke the trip up to Montana with a stay in Wyoming so that we didn't have to make the drive in one day because it's 14 hours. And that's just a long way with the littles. We were welcome to the stage where... We get to order pizza and we get to leave the kids at the hotel room and the parents get to go out for a nice dinner across the street. And so we did that. <laughs> we went to a really nice steakhouse and I was telling Luke, I, like, I think this would be my last meal because I ordered a really very well done salad with like a steak on top of it. And for me, there's no better pairing than, than that, I guess. I love that new phase of parenting. I'm excited for you.
1: Enjoy it until Tad goes to college.
0: So I did want to give a plug to our email list, our Discover email list, because one of the things I kind of – you said you went down the rabbit hole of the celebrities. I went down the rabbit hole of kind of why people choose to be vegan. I found a really interesting paper, which is the plug for our Discover – email list. I'm going to send that out at the end of the month. It's just a once-month email list, but we always have really interesting articles that we don't cover on the podcast. And I'm linking this study because it actually talked about the, let me get to the title so I say it exactly right, the impact of a vegan diet on the many aspects of health, the overlooked side of veganism. And it really honed in on like the micro and macronutrients. And it actually said the same thing that Lauren talks about on Game Changers, you guys. But basically, one of the conclusion statements was now more than ever, we have to have a clear understanding of both the risks and benefits of such diets among clinicians, policymakers, and the public. And I thought that was very good soundbite. So if you're interested in that paper, um, sign up for our email list, which we'll link in the show notes. But I also found a very interesting article by psychology today. And the author was actually a parent of a child who was vegan for 13 years and then stopped. And he wanted to kind of dive into why people go vegan and why they stop. And going back to what you said, I thought it was so interesting that you said that bear maybe is choosing diets to stand out or to feel different. And that's exactly what this daughter said. She said, I stopped eating meat when I was 13. I told my mom and dad that my decision was based on animal welfare and the high carbon footprint, footprint. But the truth is that while I theoretically cared about those, mostly I just wanted to be different. And then she goes on to talk about like growing up in the small Southern town and all these different things. And I thought that was so, I don't know, I just really dived into why people choose to be vegan. And it makes sense of the different reasons why people do it, why they don't last with the diet then and why they feel the way they do about the diet, depending on why they entered into it too.
1: Yeah, very much. Um, we've talked about that veganism, like it's a religion, sort of uh, cult, like they, it makes you feel a part of something while also making you like, oh, I'm I'm, I'm doing something, you know, what is that called? Like, um, no, I'm totally blank on the word. This is why we need a word of the week um, for us, but where you are virtue signaling, where you're virtue signaling, like, I am doing something so great. I'm doing something great for the environment, my health, for the animals. And so, but it, it like sets you apart while also making you a part of something. Like, it's like mm-hmm. both of those things at the same time. Mm-hmm. Well, that's kind of all I have on this article, unless you have more. But the next one, I've got a lot to say, so I almost want to get to it.
0: Yeah, let's jump into cool. it. Cool.
1: Before we jump into cool. it, I want to highlight. Cool, cool. I'm ready cool. to move on. <laughs> cool. Uh, okay, before we move on, I want to highlight one of our favorite Australian Western brands, Ringers Western. And as Natalie likes to say, Ringers Western is the epitome of country cool. And I will say, every time you post about ringers, you actually had a ringer shirt on earlier today when we were on a call. I am like so jealous of like how country cool you are, country chic you are. And I think actually getting ready for Montana, I'm going to place a big ringers Western order and get
0: really outfit my outfit thanks to them. So you should that actually, I haven't even thought about my outfits for Montana, but I can already think of a couple of ringer shirts I have that would be perfect for the sheep trail we're going to be doing. So ringers would be the perfect Uh, uh, website for you to visit planning for Montana and for everyone else who is planning their ranch and farm apparel for the summer. I actually am transitioning out of all of my winter fall stuff I have from ringers and into more of my short sleeve. And they actually have really cool tanks that have SPF built into them. So I'll be sporting those a lot on the ranch now that it's warmer too.
1: Yeah. And they have really practical clothing for on the ranch, but also really cute items for off of the ranch. Um, And they are an Australian brand, but they do have a U.S. website that makes it really easy to shop. So you can find them at us.ringerswestern.com. And be sure to use our special code DISCOVER to save you 20%. That is us.ringerswestern.com and code DISCOVER, both of which
0: are in our show notes. All right, moving into our second article you guys need to know this week, titled, This Generation Won't End Factory Farming, But the Next One Might. So this is actually an expose piece out of Forbes or an opinion piece. And the author is kind of talking about how now more than ever, people are concerned about the effects of the diets on animals and the environment. And then he paired that with how mainstream penetration of books and movies has become common knowledge that industrial animal agriculture is a culprit behind greenhouse gas emissions and a contributor to climate change. And then basically moves that conversation into ah, juxtaposition. (laughs) He talks about the just position <laughs> that despite the awareness and interest in plant-based eating, American meat consumption is higher than ever. And then he kind of talks about blaming this on, or I guess not blaming, I kind of talk about, I felt like I was blaming, which we can talk about in a minute, but I guess he's equating it to the different generations and the choices they make and why they do and ends it by saying basically anyone who is not like Gen Z is going to save us, anyone else. That's not Gen Z is beyond hope, I guess, for a couple different reasons, which we can get into.
1: Based on the title, it went in a very different direction than what I was expecting. I was expecting a little bit more about like farming practices and like more about like quote unquote factory farming. That's definitely where he didn't go. But before we get into that, I I ended up learning a lot about Brian Cateman, which is the man that wrote this article, and I found his story really interesting. He he is a self-claim, this is like what his statement is, co-founder and president of the reductionarian Foundation, a non-profit Reducitarian. organization. Reduxitarian, thank you. Um, reductionarian okay, yeah, Reduxitarian, a nonprofit organization dedicated to reducing consumption of animal products. This is his sixth article this year against animal ag. And not to go on a tangent, but just a little bit, I would love to know where their farmer contributors are that would also write opinion pieces about things about ag instead of uh, this man being the only representation of ag. And when I attended the uh, Forbes Ag Tech Summit, I ended up talking with one of the editors and we talked about me possibly writing for Forbes. And we went back and forth and I made it really far in the process and ultimately didn't wasn't allowed to write for them because of the fact that I like profit off of animal agriculture farming. How is that not the same for this guy that he profits off of reducing animal protein and yet he can write about it? And it really bothered me. I was very angry by the time I started reading this article just after the intro of this man.
0: Oh, I'm going to add some fuel to your fire because not oh, only great. is he the you know founder or president or whatever you said of the reducetarian- group. He is the author of The Reducitarian Solution, The Reducitarian Cookbook, and Meet Me Halfway, which is also a book and documentary, which are all about, as you guessed it, this theme he's writing on, which is reducing animal agriculture. So <laughs> definitely a little bit of you know skin in the game, a little bit of bias. I thought that's what you were going to say, that they wouldn't have eventually allow you to write because they felt you would be too biased about what you're writing about. That was not the concern. The
1: concern was where I like where I was getting money for a sponsored posts, where my income was coming from, and I just was like, I don't understand how this is different for this guy. I have a problem with
0: every opinion article that comes out of <laughs> Washington <laughs> Times, New York Post, all of them, because they are from people who are not in the industry. That is truly the origin story of Discover Ag. I mean, you guys we're on such a tangent right now, but I feel like there is no one who is talking about these issues that are in the food and ag space that are coming from the food and ag space it's all about someone it's written from someone's viewpoint who lives in the upper west side or you know i don't know where this guy lives but they're they're the the people that are three removed generations from the farm and the food and the root of everything and they're the ones who are swaying and writing all the papers and that is why we started discover ag because there needs to be a voice out there a representation of people who are within the industry that understand it whether You know, New York Times wants to accept that or not, I guess.
1: Yeah. If the Forbes and New York Times of the world don't want to give us a platform, like we created Discover Ag to be able to give farmers and ranchers their own voice.
0: So one of the interesting things I pulled out of this, well, I pulled two things that kind of stuck out in my mind. One was that they are starting to realize now that people will never stop eating meat. And the best way to get to the root of their missions then is to go for this reducitarian reduction method, I guess. And I don't know if I was naive to that's what meatless Mondays are or plant-based Fridays. I think I thought they were just like easing people into To the idea. But now I'm fully aware that that is the new mechanism of action that these organizations are going to take is not to encourage people to stop eating meat, but basically to encourage them to to reduce the amount they're eating and then very strategically creating these campaigns around the idea of reduction. It's not so much as in your face as stopping and it's also more feasible for people to do versus stopping.
1: Yeah, they mentioned that 25% of Americans reported that they would like to eat less meat. And then they had a stat from, um, in, in um, England, 43% of Gen Zers planned to abstain from meat in 2023. So that kind of touches on the, the generational piece of this. But um, yeah, it's definitely that like reducing, just reducing meat consumption versus like, oh, you don't have to eliminate all of it. Like, let's just make some different choices here and there and kind of like working their way in in that way.
0: So another thing I want to talk about that I felt was very prevalent in this article, and I wanted to talk about it in all of our debunking series because it is also prevalent in some of the films, but there's just so much ground to cover that we've never got to it. But it is climate anxiety, this term people have mm. coined for younger generations' feelings and emotions about the climate. And he spends a lot of time talking about you know, how – let me pull out some of these sound bites – how it makes perfect sense that the kids who grew up hearing increasingly dire warnings about the state of the planet have grown up to be the adults who are actually making a difference. And of I felt like he was blaming anyone who wasn't Gen Z talking about how, Boomers, Gen Xers, and millennials have all spent decades steeped in the animal agriculture industry PR campaigns like the one that Aubrey Plaza did last month that promote meat and milk as healthy and even as necessary. So it's no wonder that we are, you know, biased and unable to, you know, take different opinions. I just – I did not like the way he portrayed different generations. And I'm honestly not sure how I feel about this whole climate climate anxiety thing that I don't – I don't want to say we're claiming, but um, is like a thing, I guess.
1: Yeah, there is that. It's like beyond just like fear now. There, It is like an anxiety that people are having. I also was like, can we give Aubrey Plaza a break? That poor girl. With, I'm like, oh my gosh, another vegan attacking her for that campaign. It almost makes me think, though, that it hit exactly where it was supposed to. Like it did exactly what like the intention of it was because I was just I laughed a little when I saw him mention this. Um, but yet to the the idea of the different generations. I also did not realize that Gen Z's nickname is Zoomers. I like chuckled a little when I realized that. But yeah, there one of the things he was like, it's no longer the boomers that are like eating meat. It is also Gen Xers and Millennials. And like basically it was kind of like, oh, you guys are all just terrible and that we all need to turn to the the Zoomers for the answers. And it got to this idea that kind of deep in the article, it was a long article about how Darwinism was rejected for years and years until like older scientists died off. And then the quote I read was science advances one funeral at a time. So basically what he was saying is as these older generations, as these older scientists either like die or phase out and new ones that have had this climate anxiety that have had all of this kind of like I don't want to say indoctrination, but like very heavy information about climate, uh, factory farming, quote unquote, they will have new ideas that come to the table. or They'll come to it with some fresh ideas and it'll be different in the next generation was just like really his point here.
0: Yeah, I thought it was a really interesting concept and idea. And part of it really makes sense to me, but not for a good reason. I think he was trying to highlight it in a way that made sense. And for me, the more he talked about it, the more I was like, so essentially you're promoting that we're brainwashing our youth and until Mm -hmm. everyone else who has like thoughts and capability of making their own decisions and questioning and not wanting to embrace, you're promoting that the way to accomplish something is to just go for the generation that is so young that basically they um, learn what they consume, I guess, or take for fact. I don't know. It really rubbed me. I mean, it makes sense, but it really rubbed me the wrong way. 100%. 100%. So I
1: feel like every time this guy said something in this article, and I feel like this theme runs through lots of articles we cover, he stated it as if everything he said was facts. There was one, it was, it's hardly a secret that environmental experts believe a mass reduction in meat eating is one of the most important things we can do to protect the future of our planet. And I was like, how about the massive consensus of scientists that we talked about last month that all agree that eating meat is actually one of the most important things we can do for a healthy and sustainable diet. So, but he stated Stated it as just like, this is it. This is the way it is. So if you were a Zoomer, a Gen Zer, and you're, you know, I don't know, how old are they, like 16, 18, even 22 reading this? And you're just like, oh, this is just, it's common knowledge now. Like this is the way it is. And yeah, you're going to approach then your entire life, all your science, if you get into research, whatever you do with your life, you're going to approach it from that angle that this is science, this is the way it is, and that there's no disagreeing with it.
0: And that is really scary. Very scary. I wrote down that he had a very doomsday end for me because he wrote, as Gen Z grows into adulthood, their political and purchasing power will increase. They're only going to be better equipped to act on the sense of urgency we've left them with. I mean, I'm telling you guys, this was the most doomsday written article. Um, But it'll be interesting to see if Gen Z Zoomers, you know, I feel like as you get older, you start to not embrace everything you're just taught or take for word what you're told. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, what this generation does with everything they have grown up. I mean, they have leaders like Greta Thunberg, who is like literally not my favorite person at all. Um, But that's what they've grown up with. So it'll be interesting to see how that shapes them. He wrote an
1: article this year, this author did about Greta. And I was like, hmm no surprise there. One positive thing that I liked in this article was they mentioned that 98.3% of all households in the United States consume animal proteins. And so while I think it's all very concerning, there's obviously still a very strong 98% of people. So that means even people who are claiming to be vegan, someone in their household is eating animal protein, is buying animal protein. Um, And so maybe not all hope is lost. Okay, ready for the next article?
0: Yeah. Before we do that, do you want to give a shout out though?
1: Yep, I'm going to give a shout out. So we have I think this has been a theme that we've been seeing. We've been seeing a lot of ag teachers sharing about Discover Ag giving us really great reviews, shout outs on Instagram. Um, We had a lot of people use uh, Luke's audio about how we need to have animal ag in the classroom. Uh, And so that's been really cool to see. So one in particular I wanted to share was Barb W. Jones. Five star. Love this podcast. I absolutely love this podcast. I share it with my friends and family and use the messages in in my classroom and link to episodes for my students to listen to. And that is just one of a, several from Ag Teachers. So thank you all so much for using our podcast. And then
0: we're so glad that you guys find it helpful. Yeah. And if you know an Ag teacher, maybe uh, recommend Discover Ag. Um, like you said, we have, this is not something we're just seeing one off. A lot of people are mentioning that they're ge- using our podcast as ideas for speeches for their students to give, discussion points to have in the classroom. Um, so yeah, it was, we, did not intend for this to be the discover at, you know, purpose or an outcome of it, but it's pretty cool that it is. I'm happy to be in an ad classroom. So spread us if you know an act teacher. All right. Last article about Montana. Let's hear it. All right. Uh, Title bison calf at Yellowstone is euthanized after man's intervention. Park officials say that they were trying to identify a man who moved the calf after it was separated from its mother and herd causing the herd to reject it. My initial
1: thoughts are, People don't know what the heck they're doing with animals. And this is why it is very difficult for them to make informed decisions about like animal ag. Going back to Prop 12, not to mention again in this episode, but like you have people voting on policies and decisions around animal agriculture, around wildlife, around tons of different things. And you have people that don't understand the very basis of like animal nature and the animal life cycle.
0: We both went to the same big picture for how small, you know, like um, concentrated this article is to, you know, wildlife in Yellowstone. We both extrapolated the same big picture, which I feel like is that people do not trust farmers and ranchers to make the decisions that are best for the land and the animal because they think they know better. And they have, I'm sorry, but they have no clue sometimes about why we're making the decisions we are. And, I don't know, for this is highlighted kind of like a trigger point for me because this is not the only story. This is not the first time it's happened. Last summer, there are countless stories. I was Googling, um, to try and find this article again. And, and even another case happened over Memorial day. So like six days later, a man picked up a calf and put it in his truck and drove it to the Yellowstone police station and it ran off and they haven't even found it. I mean, there will be, this will not be the first time it happens this summer. There will be another incident almost repeatedly, probably week after week of people inserting themselves into nature, thinking they understand it and really racking, causing havoc and ripple effects that they did not intend.
1: Just this weekend, a woman tried to take a selfie with a bison at Yellowstone and it rammed her and she's Uh lucky she's alive and the other people around her are lucky that she's alive. And I was like, on what planet do you think walking up to a large bison bull And taking a photo with it is a good idea. Like this person, what if the, I don't know what a female bison is called. I guess a cow still. I don't know. Do you know? Mm -mm. The the mother cow bison of this calf they're lucky that it didn't charge them and like try to kill them and yeah this is an ongoing problem 2018 a man was arrested for taunting a bison 2016 a bison calf was euthanized after being placed in the back of an suv and it was rejected by its herd 2015 another woman was injured while taking a selfie like this is every single summer multiple cases of people not understanding what happens
0: so the tangent I went on when I started thinking about this bigger picture that, you know, the lay people know better than the farmer and rancher when it comes to animal and land care. I got on a tangent of farm sanctuaries and how mm-hmm. oftentimes they are worse off for the animals than the animal being in a farm or ranch because of the ignorance people have about what it truly takes to care for animals and what is actually best for them. And I found a ton of different examples we can go through, but it just really, again, highlights that sometimes maybe from a good place, people want to do the right decision, but it just doesn't work that way, right? And that is why farmers and ranchers make the decisions we do. And you said it at the very beginning, Prop 12 is a perfect example of people voting on something they think they know best on But we're completely ignoring the advice of the expert who is the farmer rancher.
1: Another direction I went with this is people love to be like natural, right? Like you know, keeping animals in confinements not natural. Like I want the natural process to happen. The natural process that probably would have happened here is this calf got separated for whatever reason the mom did not go back for it or couldn't. Natural selection would have happened. all the, I feel like these are the same people that want, you know the wolves to be out, like whatever, all the different things they want about nature what should have happened is natural selection. This calf got separated. It should have gotten eaten by a predator. Sorry, that is what is actually true. And people can't actually understand that either. They, it's like they, they can't have it. They don't understand the entire process, no matter what it is, whether it is domesticated animals, farm animals, or wild animals that need to take on like a wild natural role either.
0: I was thinking about that on my run this morning because Dolly was in front of me and they were about 15 yards in front of her was a little rabbit that ran onto the road. And I thought they both paused and they stopped. And then at the exact same time, the rabbit shot off and Dolly shot off after it. And I was just like, that is that is nature, right? And I was like, Dolly's probably going to catch this poor rabbit. But it made me think about this article about how people are trying to insert themselves in and stop nature and natural things like that from happening. I'm like, it's built into it. Like that rabbit it was built into it for to pause and sense that Dolly was behind it. There was attack coming and it's built into Dolly to attack the poor little rabbit. You know, like that was a perfect example of nature in front of me that most people would try to stop and cut off.
1: Yeah. And on that note, supposedly one of the reasons the calf got separated that I saw was it got confused by all of the cars that were going around it. And so another point of people like, let's go out to a national park and go observe nature. But then like, disrupting nature and it's actually I was looking into it like there are park rules about staying away from wildlife how many feet you have to stay away from different types of wildlife they say they have it like posted everywhere like you have to you know that going into the park and yet people completely disregard it because again your point they think they know better than you know this is beyond farmers and ranchers they think they know better than the park rangers Mm -hmm. who are in charge of being in charge of this wildlife and this natural you know, rangeland, national park.
0: Well, that's what they were talking about when I was reading about the sanctuaries. They're saying that they're so vulnerable to vulnerable to abuse because the owners oftentimes are megalomaniac, which I didn't look what that up, but basically they said they didn't realize they're abusing am- animals or they're living on the knife edge due to relying on donations to survive. But I really honed in on that. They don't realize they're abusing animals. And I feel like again circling this big picture to like for prop 12 as an example it's like you're voting on issues that we don't really understand or realize the intentions that come out of them i didn't plan
1: on going in this direction today with this article like i don't have any notes about it but i kind of want to touch on it because i think it's relevant i have a few like i don't know if homesteaders is the right word people who've decided to incorporate different features of like animal ag into their life like a single milk cow and i've had to unfollow so many of them because I've seen practices that, in my opinion, are straight up animal abuse. But they think that factory farming is bad, that conventional milk is bad. So they have decided, like, I want a milk house so I can give my family like milk from where I know. But then they don't do enough research. They don't learn enough about taking care of those animals. And it's the same thing. It it ends up being abuse. And I have literally been like, I can't, and it's not worth necessarily commenting. I mean, other, I've seen at times other farmers or ranchers or dairy farmers have commented on posts, but it's like, you know what? It's not really my place to get in there. And I've just had to make the decision to, to step away from those conversations. But it is extremely frustrating, especially when on the flip side of the coin, you have people accusing you of doing something bad when in actuality, they don't have the knowledge and understanding to make that decision. And that's not to say I'm not, incur- like, I want people to get more involved in ag. I love if you want to have a milk cow in your backyard. I, you know, if you're passionate about Prop 12, that's great, but make sure you actually educate yourself on the decisions you're making without just like ignorantly deciding on a certain way, lifestyle decision.
0: I was actually thinking about that in one of our previous articles, because one of the most top cited reasons why people choose to go vegan is because of like animal abuse, essentially. And I was so shocked that that was actually the top reason because I was like, in my mind, animal welfare has never been better in our industry. Like I'm so proud of our, where we're at when it comes to animal husbandry. And I, so I was like shocked. And then when I like processed and digested it, I was like, they're talking about what they perceive as animal abuse, which is the gestation crates of Prop 12 or you know whatever other example that is. And in our mind, as the experts in the field who have a better understanding of you know animals, I guess, from beginning to end and what it is like to actually care for them and the interactions with their environments and a whole bunch of different things, we recognize that that's not actually animal abuse and it's sometimes better for the animal. And so I was like, no wonder we're up against so much because what we view as standard care is sometimes seen as animal abuse to them. That's actually a really great point. And I think sometimes
1: people lose sight of what animal welfare means. Like if you don't like, let, let's just use gestational crates because I think we've been on that kick for a while. Um, if you don't agree with those and you think that, you know, hogs should be out like roaming and uh, grazing out on like, you know, natural lands. I don't know a lot about hogs. So I'm like kind of just talking off the cuff here. That's okay to say that, but I don't think it's okay to necessarily say that's about animal welfare because I would guess that, you know, death, like loss rate, like hogs dying is going to be higher out on natural rangeland than in a gestation crate. And so I think we get confused of what animal welfare means and what those decisions actually lead to.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. It makes me almost wonder if we've entered uh, like subcategories that are like animal comfort more than animal... I guess, like welfare.
1: Oh, well, I think that's kind of all I have to add to that conversation. I feel like it went in a very different direction than I intended, but I'm actually curious to continue exploring this train of thought. Um, so maybe we'll have to find some more uh, articles that kind of dive, dive into this, go into this.
0: Yeah. And I'm going to share the videos of, the, uh, I'm sorry, the videos of the tourists in Yellowstone are too funny. So I'm going to be making them in some reels if you guys <laughs> would like to uh, watch those on the Discover Ag podcast pay, or uh, Instagram page. All right, you guys, thanks for listening to
1: Discover Ag, where every week we discover what's new in the world of agriculture, and we will see you guys next week.